Jesus Christ every fucking time. <laughs> oh, painful. You look like somebody's new dad. I just don't sound incredibly. I sound far away in mine. Like that's that's why. Then go by that. Go you're the you're the man behind the mixer. Let's, let's <laughs> enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Have You Met Human podcast, a podcast where we talk all about human history, the people, the events, and the things that we as humans do, have done, or are doing. Our P E T podcast, our pet project, if you will. I have a question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What? <laughs> What does the PET stand for? People, events, and things. I, that's okay. You can okay. have that. Sure. Okay. I said I, we talk all yeah. about human history, the people, the events, and the things that. Okay. We I just missed it. That's all. Yeah. I am Christopher Van Ventures, and my co-hosts today are Skylar Daniel Rancliffe and Dustin Gilbert Davis. Oh my lord, you're another Daniel. Yeah, you knew that. No, I didn't know that. You've known him for like thirty years. Well, here's the thing. He's also known me for thirty years, and he still says my last name wrong. I, I will continue. Rancliffe. Rancliffe. Rancliffe, yeah. Yeah, it's Rancliffe. I know how to say it right. I just, yeah. I learned it, Rancliffe, and I can't unlearn it. I don't know who you learned it from. It's my bad reading. Wait, so we're taking history lessons from a guy who can't remember shit? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's fine. It all makes sense. So, all right, uh, this story basically is just uh, deep in the Alps uh, of northern Austria lie a castle. Built long time ago in the 10th century, it sits atop this older structure that like predates it to the 8th century. Is it on top of a mountain? Yeah, it's also deep. Is this? Have I seen this poster a million times in grade school? No, it's not. You're probably thinking of the one that they inspired for Disneyland or whatever. Is that the water park that we were talking about earlier? <laughs> no, that one's in Texas. I think everything in the Alps is just going to sound like a water park to me. Yeah, it's they, possible. Thankfully, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Or or ice cream. Get we'll on. Yeah. <laughs> So, but this area uh, was inhabited since the Bronze Age and had seen itself previously conquered by the Romans. And it would be traded and exchanged between successive peoples throughout the years until landing in the time of our story at the very tail end of World War II when it is in the hands of the Nazis. Uh, and this castle turned into a prison called Schloss Eta. Oh! Schloss. I'm, I think I'm putting it together. Is this uh, Wolfenstein? I mean, it's Nazis. Right, but like Wolfenstein's all about like the crazy scientists that ran the castle, right? Isn't that a th- isn't that what it is? I just remember you. I just remember a castle shooting people. Yeah, I remember that's, shooting that's Nazis remember. and swastikas on the wall. Is that what this is? Please, sort of. Yeah. Okay, keep going. We'll find out. <laughs> so this is a story about the prison, uh, and this this is mainly a story about saving these prisoners. So uh, in this first part, we will give a little history about the castle and how it got to be in the hands of the Nazis. Uh, through the passage of times and the whims of European conflict. Go ahead, I Dustin. Just keep picturing the castle from Indiana Jones. That's, that's all I see. Where are the tapestries? Tapestries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Five days after Adolf Hitler kills himself in a bunker in Berlin. Is what they tell us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Supposedly. Yeah. A U.S. Army tank battalion is moving through the valley in northern Austria, just miles from the German border. Oops. And then nearby... 
another German army detachment filled with mainly native Austrians have just defected and joined the anti-fascists, hoping to protect themselves and the people uh, from the many bands of the SS units that are roaming the countryside, seeking to fulfill the Fuhrer's final order to continue the fight, continue the terror at any cost. It is a race against time as to who will find whom first and what their interaction, either helpful or destructive, will end up being. Was that an unintended pun? A race in time? A race against time? Because they're the white race. Hmm. So there are three separate entities here? Correct. This is... Vying for power? Okay. Well, this is, so this is the end of the war, right? And so Hitler said, consolidate. He was like telling everybody, consolidate into like the Alps and do a guerrilla war. Oh. Pretty much. And so you have the U.S. Army coming in. You have German... Ar- so so there's a difference between the German Army and the SS. The SS are like the Nazis. They, yeah. they are hardcore they believers in the Nazi ideal. And the people in the Wehrmacht, the regular German Army... They're just uh, a lieutenant and a captain. They're just there to fight and defend their country. So there, there might be Nazis in that, but it, they're not crazy ideological. And so towards the end of this, you basically have a bunch of German Wehrmacht, uh, like regular army German people that are trying to defend the people of Austria from these SS agents that are like all coalescing and like trying to do this guerrilla warfare and also make sure that the, well, at least when the Americans come in, know that they're on their side. Because they're still German army guys, but they're just like, okay, we need so to like... The, they're like the guy from the pillbox and Saving Private Ryan, Petty Boop, What a Dish, yep. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, but it's but it, but it's, instead of trying to kill them first, like, they've already decided we are not going to shoot at them. Yeah. 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 They're the ones that are, you know, not wanting to die. Got it. Makes sense. Well, not wanting to die, and most of these are Austrians, and I'll get into this later, but at this point in the war, like, a lot of the Austrian people, a lot of these towns are abandoned, but, like, there's, like, the, there's the front line, and in between that, you just have this giant area where the Nazis have just left, but these SS guys are sort of roaming around a little bit, uh, and then the, the American army's coming in, and a lot of the people in the towns are, like, putting up white flags in their windows just to be like, we are on your side. Something. Don't, like, you are yeah. safe. We're not going to attack you. And, and the SS is also going around to these towns, and when they see that, they are killing those people. Gotcha. So these German army guys are trying to protect the people of these towns gotcha. from the SS and also make sure the, the Americans, when they do get there, know that they're not, they don't need to fight them. Yeah. Do you think that um, some of those houses had both flags up and they just like absolutely saw who was coming around the corner and, and just oh. you throw it up up yep. throw the one down oh yeah yeah definitely peeking out those blinders looking at me like what's happening yeah. so soon these members of the u.s army and the german army would fight side by side in a battle against these ss nazi troops in the mountains of northern austria desperately trying to save the lives weirdly uh of france's most famous politicians um and an unknown amount of concentration camp inmates who were serving in the castle they were referred to as number prisoners because uh, they had all came from the concentration camp. And we. So the numbered ones came from the concentration camps. The others just came from France. France. Political. Who were politicians? They were, they were all like very famous French politicians. Gotcha. And yeah. We'll get into them later. There's a whole. Sure. Like, it's like I think he says they were named where the others were numbered. Yeah. 
But they were both helpers of the castle. Well, is that what you some, said? Some people, force. The people that had numbers on them were people that were taken from a concentration right. camp and sent there to be the workers in right. the castle. And the other ones were treated like VIPs and sort of... Oh, okay. I heard it as both of them were Oh, okay. Out. Yeah, no. That didn't make... The VIP part no, it distinguishes it between the two. I'll get it. That's why those yeah. guys had names. Instead Got of numbers. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of tragic, yeah. But, uh... <laughs> what? Right? No, World War Two. Fucking twist. Nazis? Yeah. I don't believe it. They came together in this true moment of humanity uh, at a time when no American wanted to be the last GI killed in Europe, with the war being all but over. <laughs> I just, it's an interesting thought. I don't want to be the last one, Bill. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's over. Like, I mean, you know, like 20 minutes ago, I could have died. It would have been fine. Right? I just don't want to be the last one. Well, yeah. there's no more major battles. Like, you don't want to be like, the Allies knew it was over. They knew the war was over. Yeah. Like, it's just a matter of time. And no one wants to be the last one. So these Americans and Germans, uh, the Germans that defected had nothing to lose, and they would all answer the call to do the right thing. And this story is about hope and the human capability to persevere and survive when there seems no likely. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't that really all you have at that point? Uh, Yep. Don't be the last one to die and give everything you got except for that part. Don't don't be the last one to die. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. Like, it's – that was – there was a lot of hesitancy on some of the Americans in mm-hmm. the higher chain of command that were like, we don't necessarily want to send out people like that. But the people that were on the ground, the the, the, the captains, the you know, yeah. lieutenants, they were the ones that were like, no. No, we, we understand what needs to yeah, happen These here. people are all going to be murdered. As long as we're not the last like, to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. No, I mean, no. Yeah, but yeah. Okay. That's uh, all tracks. Yeah. Yes. Seems, makes sense. So Castle or Schloss Eater – uh, sits on a hill overlooking the Breigzental Valley, 2,300 feet above the sea level in an area known as the Tyrol. There's a bridge that connects it to a small village to the east. Uh, and while it is itself not terribly important, it does lay in a very well-traveled area. So Castellano lies like between uh, the peninsula of Italy and the heartland of Germany. It's a literal direct route between uh, the two. Yeah. Divided by two rivers on both sides, it's easily traversed uh, next to the relatively harsh environment of the Alps. Um, and as such, as mentioned earlier, was conquered by Rome in 15 BCE. It was then invaded by German tribes, Charlemagne's Franks. And so the, it's a popular location. The Ostrogoths. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Goths are everywhere in history. I was going to say, weren't these the dudes at the Ottoman? Yep. 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 All right. So... I don't ever want to talk about the Ottoman Empire ever again. <laughs> no, I bet. And I and if you don't want it, uh, well, here you go. You're gonna hear so, uh, for other another familiar friend. Is my guy the the German back? God no, no. What no. what oh, oh this is World War Two, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, never mind. Yeah, yeah, John, the German, the, John the German. John the German has been dead for a while. John the German, the Scotsman. No, yeah. yeah. So the Bavarians were the first to build a keep like where the castle lies today, and it's surrounded by a wall on the spot. Um, and as the church at the time was wont to do, the Catholic Church would take possession of it in 902, and they would build a castle over the next century. What was underneath that castle? The keep. Oh, I figured it was children's bodies. Anyway. Somewhere within there. (laughs) I was wondering if you're going to needle your old in the Catholic Church. I I ripped the Catholic Church apart pretty good. I think... And (laughs) it's just an easy target. I don't know what to tell you, but, you know, so were kids, so... So funny enough, is that because they're both slow to act? (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah. We're talking about the Catholic Church here. <laughs> it's, it's slow to act. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Funny enough, the castle itself doesn't appear in any actual record until 1241 during, of all things, a legal real estate dispute. But being the fucking Middle Ages, it's insane. Just imagine, like, some real estate lady in her. Yeah, no, yeah, it's exactly what I'm. <laughs> Sorry. So, Bavarian's uh, Count Palatine. What? Yeah. It's it's a title, uh, Count. Palatine. Yeah, I know Count's a fucking title. Well, the Count Palatine was like just a. But it, another Star Wars sounding name. Well, and the name of this Count uh, Palatine was Rapoto the Third of Ortenberg. Oh, that was his droid. <laughs> <laughs> so this Count <coughs> feuds with this local bishop, um, and sees the castle right because they're yeah. having a, 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 whatever. The Bavarian Count <laughs> seizes the castle. Only to be later captured by that same bishop that he had stolen the castle from. So this ends up being very beneficial to the church because the Bavarian was forced to cede the castle and all its surrounding lands to the bishop and the church. Uh, and I feel like doing a history podcast, we are definitely going to talk a lot about the Catholics seizing property and lands. It's a, a hunch I have. It's kind of one of those common themes, like, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like it's yeah. going to come up there. The count word comes from country, count, country. Yeah, he's a rep, yeah representative of the, of the, uh, the county country. Yeah. country yeah. Didn't know that. You know, my introduction to account was on Sesame Street, guys. And then followed up by Dooku. So, yeah, yeah, same here. Was it? Well, in in my mind, yeah. Because what other counts do you? I know. I'm trying to think. Was there any counts the between count and then Chocula? Count Dooku? Oh shit! You're right. Yeah, count Chocula. Yeah, Chocula. No, that predates. Oh, that predates dang. Dooku. Yeah. yeah. Now the bishops of the time were obviously not just men of God. Uh, they were princes in the Holy Roman Empire and were often severe in their treatment of the local community. This wasn't a church. This was a base of operations for collecting taxes. And that was the main priority, being the tax man, not the mass man. Not surprisingly, <laughs> there was, of course, an uprising of peasants, because, of course, that lasts from 1515. Was Frankenstein there? <laughs> with the Count Chocula was. <laughs> was Count Chocula yeah. with their pitchforks and torches. Yes. So this uprising lasts for uh, 11 years, 1515 to 1526, which partially destroys the castle. Castle Itter, in 1532, became a base of operations for the hunting and stomping out of witchcraft in the area. Witchcraft would account for over 80,000 trials and 40,000 deaths in Europe between 1550 and the year 1700 alone. Often, they were thorough. And they were buried alive. Or oh, that really? Burned. Often, they were burned alive. Okay, so definitely not alive when they buried him, though. Christ. <laughs> so now, no, while no known numbers like exist for the deaths that occurred at the castle, we do know that the last witch was burned in the castle courtyard in 1590. So now it's around this time of this witchcraft uh, going on that an inscription was added to the entryway, which read the words of Dante's Divine Comedy, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Perhaps foreshadowing the later Nazi control of the Schloss Eater. So, in 1782, it becomes part of the personal lands of the Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II, who is only worthy of mentioning uh, because of who his mother was, the Holy Roman Empress Maria Theresa, the first woman to be the Holy Roman Emperor, just to give women a shout-out that that's side of the witchcraft. <laughs> uh, she was an amazing reformer and source of strength and stability for her empire, but do not Google her views on other religious groups. Yeah, well, don't tell me what to do. So, uh, at the insistence of the Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II, the Pope visited Schloss Eta, 
Blessed Chapel, graced with an ornate Gothic crucifix, amongst other Christian treasures. And uh, despite this, Joseph would not live there. And many of the people that possessed the castle were absentee landlords, just uh, raising rents for all the people in the village, right? Classic slumlords. Yeah, and at least they were courteous enough not to live with him and do that. They were absent. So the most famous absentee <laughs> landlord was Napoleon, who acquired the Schloss in a treaty after <laughs> defeating Austria in 1805. I feel like I'm really learning, because I had no idea that guy was a landlord. Yep. I knew he was I short. To, <clears throat> an absentee. Like, I would an absentee back, landlord. Yeah, well, yeah. well, I would slumlord. assume back then anybody in power was some kind of landlord. Of course. Yeah. You can't you like, where the, the, the title Lord comes from. Like, I don't think like Napoleon was walking around asking for his rent, you know, every month. No, he did he would have his very own sheriff of Rottingham, wouldn't he? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> Napoleon acquires it in eighteen oh five. This doesn't last long. And in eighteen oh nine he gives it to the king of the Bavarians. Like, oh, it's back to Bavaria, full circle. And then that person sold it to the local inhabitants for a very small sum in eighteen twelve. The villagers made full use of the schloss by dismantling large yeah. parts of it to erect many of the buildings God. in the town of Eter, including the local hotel. So they all have a little piece of the castle. It's quaint. No, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah it's like makes oh, you feel good. We're, we're going to make use of you. Just Catholics are gone and and castles are turning into homes and everyone's getting a little schloss. Little eaters are everywhere. Yeah. So the Austrian state uh, resumes ownership in 1814 before the castle is completely destroyed uh, and completely picked apart. Again, it was sold in 1878, not to the people in an improper way, but in a proper way to a successful entrepreneur that envisioned amazing prosperity through hospitality. So a different slumlord. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He turns it into this very large and lavish hotel. And this would be a failure. Obviously... Because the town had just built a hotel out of the castle, so it's super fucking redundant. You have the hotel castle, the castle hotel with... It's stupid. Why? Yeah. Because it's redundant. Sounds like a good gimmick for a hotel. It does, really. I think there's one in Las Vegas called Excalibur. Yeah. Well, but there's not just that, see, because then you have the argument of stay here at the town hotel because it's the real castle as opposed to the one that they propped up fakely on the property that used to or formerly was the castle. So there's yeah. some marketing confusion that goes on there. That's People aren't sure what's going on. I can yeah, see just, why it fails. Yeah, sure. just, Okay, all right. So the entrepreneur, ruined, in 1884, uh, sells it to the famous German pianist and composer Sophie Mentor, who turns it into a refuge for the arts and famous musicians of the time, visited and worked on their craft within the walls of her castle. Hmm. Weirdly ironically. So that's like a highlight then at that point, right? Oh, yeah. No, so it's... We gotta, we gotta, it, what was the name again? Schlossita. No. Oh my God, Sophie Sophia, Sophia, Sophie, yeah. Sophie. 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 All right, and and this was a pianist musician. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming by the name Sophie, if I get this right, female, right? So she now we was. have she. So she, we have she, a property owner mm -hmm. who opens up a house of the arts 1884. in 1884. Yeah. yeah, that's progress. It really, yeah. Someone's gonna fuck that up. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is a musician. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might yeah. know something about that. <laughs> So, ironically, out of all the musicians that uh, spent time there, uh, Wagner spent a lot of time there, and Hitler was obsessed with Wagner so much, it's hard to hear his Ride of the Valkyries and not think of the Nazis. You know that song? Okay. Yeah, and I never thought of the Nazis when I heard Nerd that song. Like, now I fucking am. Killed a rabbit. Really? I usually, well, I, I usually think of my 
My Are people. Bugs Bunny? No. Oh, I think of Bugs Bunny, man. Yeah, I oh, think so I, yeah, well, it's yeah. Ride of the Valkyries, so I think of fucking Valkyries. Beautiful women on horseback. Yeah. Picking up warriors after they've died on the battlefield, taking them to Valhalla. That's what a Valkyrie is. You, yeah, but you know that we're in Germany right now. <sighs> fucking Germany. So... By 1902, the upkeep was too much for her, uh, okay. and she sells the Schlossita to yet another entrepreneur, who, after actually spending a, a, a giant fortune installing electricity and plumbing, gives the castle a much-needed facelift in this neo-Gothic style that you guys see in that picture. Mm-hmm. And he really gives it this fairy tale type of appearance, and it proves popular enough to make it a successful boutique hotel. <laughs> Take that, Itter Village. This hotel. is like... Um What's it? What's it called? Uh, when you uh, when a neighborhood gets taken over? Gentrified. Yeah, Gentri- it's like gentrified. Yeah. Oh yeah, but that's I mean, funny. You are talking about an entire community of musicians, so we kind of knew where that was going. The success of this hotel was definitely helped by the newfound popularity of downhill skiing. Uh, <laughs> and there you go. Yeah, no, which I was mean, invented by my people. It takes a gimmick. Yeah, yeah not no. surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hotel became quite the destination. It's weird how the Alps though kind of took it from you guys and were like, it's our thing now. Yeah, because that uh, skiing, I think Alps. That's. I know, jerks. I don't think you're people at all. After running his hotel for over 20 years, he sells it to the local governor. This governor is buying it to display his vast art collection, inspiring visitors from all around Europe. So he learned nothing from the previous artist. Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's, yeah. he's like, fuck business. I'm just going to yeah. do this. This castle is to display my art. And uh, I guess if you're rich enough to own a castle, you probably already have some sort of art collection that would be described by us plebes as vast. <laughs> I think owning two pieces of art is vast. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in 1938, Hitler annexes Austria. And uh, the eventual transformation of this fairy tale castle and hotel into the Nazi prison begins. Technically, though, right after, it isn't even Austria anymore. It was now called Ustmark. Um, And for the first few months, not much changes at the Schloss Eater. These fucking names are horrible. (laughs) Like, they're horrible. Ostmark. Schlossita? Schlossita. Schlongeter. Right? But as the integration yeah. into a greater do Germany your thing. <laughs> continued, <laughs> the concentration camps and, like, Nazi police started to establish themselves all over Austria. Okay, so, but, but this, so we're at what, like, give me a year here. We're about 38. To, 38. Yeah, right when Hitler so annexes we're really, Austria. Okay, we're, right, we're getting right there. there we're getting there. Yeah, okay. and this is, so just to give you an idea of where Castle Itter is, it's it's mm-hmm. right on the uh, southern border of Germany and the northern border of Austria. Anti-Nazi resistance uh, was small compared to the amount of people who actually supported them, unfortunately. But it did spring up almost as quickly as the invasion happened. <clears throat> Tyrol with its compact geographical area, long history of Roman Catholicism, and a strong sense of regional identity became a hotbed for anti-Nazi activity. However, it it could not be a cohesive front at all, as the Gestapo and many willing Austrian participants were keen to take down anyone that was not fully and demonstrably supportive of the new rulers. They'd have to buy their time, and build in secret the organization while slowly gathering resistance materials. Now, all of this groundwork would uh, eventually be rewarded as once in contact with the Allied secretive networks, they received aid not only from the Allies, but it also helped them during the battle to get in contact with the defecting German soldiers that had contacted the resistance. Mm. Like with pigeons? I love pigeons. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was <laughs> so it was like I said, it was incredibly hard to build this network in Austria. It was so easily folded into Germany and had in fact many who fully supported and embraced this greater Germany idea. Yeah, but this was done kind of slowly is what I'm understanding. They they kind of just became members of the community and well well here because like, you you started with a bit about how there was a bunch of people they're really not okay with this no there and are we got to the majority the where they were okay with this well there was a lot of people that were not happy with it but in greater austria for the most okay. part like oh greater austria was. like the whole, I, the whole i just meant locally though like because locally so. in the tyrol they were a little bit more independent they were still. the independent and everything but they were they were being usurped at that point you, and you couldn't coming. be open about it because all it took is one person to say something to yeah. the new german state and you're dead oh. the german know. nazis are coming into town right yeah yes. they, they, they so they and the people there were like not super excited about it but they slowly just adopted it they said okay don't kill me so the Austrian army was immediately absorbed into the German army, the Wehrmacht. And over the course of the war, 1.3 million Austrians would serve in it, with over 240,000 dying for the Nazis. In this area and all over Austria, much like Vietnam and the draft, many would join the army to decide their own fate rather than being conscripted and have no say in it. And many of them did this while abhorring the Nazis but left them with little, no other option. It's prison or participation. Like, right. Yeah. And we're setting up for that peaceful people with the flags in the windows. Got it. Mm-hmm. I don't know about peaceful, but they were they had flags. They had flags. Yeah. Very important flags. I, yeah. When I see flags in windows, I think peaceful people. It's usually right next to the I don't dial 911 sign. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it, it, some of these Austrians that joined would uh, learn – the various skills that would help them in the fight in the battle for Castle Ezer later against the Nazis. So Himmler, the leader of the SS, uh, and the new leader of the incorporated Austrian SS, was responsible for turning the castle into a prison. That was his goal from the beginning. The Austrian SS had also been working to undermine Austrian independence and gladly embrace the greater Germany uh, movement since 1934. So you have this Austrian SS that was independent of the German SS that is there in Tyrol, that's there all over Austria, and they had been undermining their own independence now for four years before the annexation. Okay. That was the thing that I was referencing earlier about the people coming in and being like, hey. Yeah, there, there was just too many Nazis. Gotcha. Yeah, like. It's, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> of course. There's too many. Well, there's just there were so many, many, so many more eyes and ears all over the place of Austria even before the official annexation. So, like, they would have had a four-year head start on this guy. Doesn't seem like he likes the Nazis. Oh yeah, so no, you, they're taking notes. We yes, got it exactly. Yeah. yeah, arrests begin almost immediately of anyone who threatened the new order. That's be it uh, sucks. Yeah, be it politically, ethnically, or religiously, these unacceptable people needed to be detained and then until they could be brought to proper concentration camps and prisons. The remote location and sturdy construction of Castle Itter proved invaluable, and in 1940, the castle was leased by the Nazis. Well, they leased it? Yep. That just doesn't from that, seem from that owner. Like, yeah. that was, hey, by the way, you of all people will lease it. <laughs> Everybody else just give me your shit. Yeah. Wow. They're so polite. Yeah, there's, oh, we'll pay. We'll pay for this. I'm guy. guessing we now know that guy's political alignment. That seems pretty. Mm. Oh, we'll cover him. Okay, great. Uh, so the weird fact though, although they envisioned it being a prison almost from the beginning, 
and like because it was the perfect for a detaining as an interrogation station for high value prisoners. For the first two years of its existence, it was officially designated by the Nazi state as the German Alliance for Combating the Dangers of Tobacco. Oh my lord, this place is yeah, wow. Well, well, it basically, the dangers of tobacco. Yep, fuck me, right? Yeah, the, and all yeah, were, the Carolinans. They were ahead of their time. Well, it may, yeah. Well, while well, it may seem odd, the Führer detested smoking and worried about the ruin to the morale and health of the people in his army, affected due to this tobacco addiction. Well, was he wrong? Uh, I want to smoke more cigarettes. I want to smoke all of the cigarettes in defiance of the Nazis. Oh, is that your excuse now? It's his excuse. Oh Lord, what's he going to call us now? I know. We're just healthy fascists. Yeah, healthy is totally a word I would use to describe either of us. Shut up, dude. They can't see us. <laughs> <laughs> so, but even even this uh, anti-tobacco thing wasn't a crazy idea at the time in Germany because Germany actually was the lead researcher in the world on the negative health effects of smoking, going back to the mid nineteenth century. So, uh, is that a win then? I don't know anything. I don't know. No, it's Weird. Nazis. But so win. the castle now was the headquarters for the for the Nazis against, against tobacco. tobacco and the menace of it, and they did okay. pamphlets and menace. press releases. I love that. <laughs> yeah, like the menace of tobacco. Next thing you're gonna tell me, like NAD is gonna come around. You know, Nazis against drunk driving. Well, <laughs> 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 like I said, Himmler. Yeah, and then about 15 minutes into my trip, I had NADs all over me. Yeah, right. All right. I want NAD bumper sticker. Oh. No, I don't. Himmler never wavers on his goal of turning the castle into a prison and eventually convinces Hitler to purchase uh, the Lee's castle outright. It would be a detention center for honor prisoners, and quoting Harding, who's the main source, these are people that the Germans considered famous enough, powerful enough, or potentially valuable enough to be kept alive and in relatively okay. decent conditions. For yes. usage and or trade. Yep. 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 Just kind of like what we did with our scientists. Yeah. Our scientists? No, their scientists. Their oh, scientists. Th- yes, there. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Oof, yeah. Uh, so, uh, wow. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I know some things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was a Castle Itter uh, was originally called an evacuation camp, uh, but it was under the operational control of the regional concentration camp called the Cow. To which, if you know anything about Jesus fucking Christ, I don't. What? Wow, that, that just got that just really confusing there. Yeah. At first, what? it's a cow, then it's Christ. Ta- like, did you say to cow? D a c h a u. But to cow? D a c h a u. Da cow. Da cow. Okay. Because isn't that like da something cow. people say like to cow? Da cow. No. I'm no, still just hearing to cow. Okay. So the cow was in operation for 12 years of the Nazi regime and held nearly 200,000 prisoners with over 41,000 deaths occurring at the place, according to the Dachau website. While mainly filled with political prisoners in the beginning of the war, after Kristallnacht, uh, (laughs) do you know what Kristallnacht is? I know you do. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's the night of of broken glass. It's the night when in Germany and Austria, the Germans and Nazis went around and they destroyed every Jewish business that they could get their hands on. That's terrible. We're just going to walk past my great joke. Yeah, well, I'm still trying to <laughs> wrap my head around the conflicting, like the, the, the polarity there. That's kind of extreme. We, we move past the cow. I love that you're saying the cow. It's a goddamn concentration camp where 41,000 people were murdered, and you're like, the cow. 
Yep, that, it's not. That, it's it's your pronunciation. It's not my problem. Like he made a crystal joke. I mean, I did miss that. I missed it. Yeah. Oh, that explains. It, also it was, was terrible, so good. Terrible timing. Yeah. But the way it hit. You said. Uh, the, you the, said the, crystal the, knock. Crystal knock. Yeah. And you said it was like. Do you know what it is? You, you like, said it was where like, like uh, horrible things happen. Yeah, terrible. And I, terrible. And, and then you looked at him. I go, yeah. You know a lot about that. About terrible. Because crystal, crystal did not. horrible things to you. Yay! Jesus yeah. Christ! Wow. There we go. We'll get there. I'm gonna edit that together. Oh, that's gonna be interesting. So while Dachau was mainly filled with political prisoners in the beginning of the war, after Kristallnacht, more than 10,000 Jews were immediately sent there, only to be later joined by prisoners from all stripes for the remainder of the war from all over Europe. Uh, this disgusting place was emblazoned with a terrifying uh, and traumatic message of Arbeit macht frei, or work shall set you free over the oh. entrance of its main concentration camp. That sounds very German. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Work. It's happy, good time. Hey, Party. Build something. Ooh, yeah. Maybe a wall. <laughs> so, Dachau would provide Schloss Eater with all of its operations. On February seventh, nineteen forty, the Nazis requisitioned the castle and terminate the lease that they had with the owner, losing a <laughs> property law again. Yep, I'm telling you, losing a valuable source of income and undoubtedly furious. The owner watches as they dismantle his hotel while wearing a Nazi pin on his lapel just to make sure he doesn't get fucked with for seeming to be ungrateful towards the state. Well, I know that when somebody stops paying me and continues to get something out of me, I'm elated. This is kind of like January 6th. They wore their little flag pins and... Took and then had and someone steal their... Yeah, someone steal okay. their... Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to get a January 6th joke in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, big piece of shit, Albert Speer. Oh, the normalist name so far. <laughs> right. Uh, Hitler's Minister of Armaments and War Production had SS Lieutenant Ludwig Petz, more like Pest, <laughs> begin the project. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. With 27 <laughs> prisoners as enslaved workers. They dismantled that altar that was consecrated by the Pope. They took up to boxing all the furnishing. The artwork, the Gothic cross, and all spiritual accoutrements in the castle. They slapped an iron so, cross up so there. So, right? this does this then mean that that monument men kind of had a part <clears throat> in this at some point? Well, I mean, they probably took that artwork. That, yeah, yeah definitely. that's what I'm just saying. Yeah, 100%. Because yeah. got to tie it to a movie, apparently. Yeah. I just got monument men and the men yeah. hysteric goats mixed up. I'm like, what <laughs> oh the fuck my are you God. talking about? Yes. <laughs> like, when they send in the fucking goats. <laughs> Well, and this was the, this was sort of the point of the SS was there would be no spiritual sympathies for the prisoners to invest in. Oh no, shit! Yeah, God was not. <laughs> to be yeah, there. no shit. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, pets, uh, the pest, had frequent outbursts over the pressure of converting this hotel into a prison, but said nothing. Otherwise, he risked earning the very real ire of his supervisors in Dachau. Because this is toward the end of the war. Working on transforming a hotel into a prison is a lot better than being on the Eastern Front. Just one month before, in January 1943, the Germans were defeated at Stalingrad, and everybody could see the tide changing in the East. They were losing the war, and it was yeah, going to continue. Yeah, and it was bad. Yeah. Nobody, they were not happy fun time. Got it. And then they were like, shit, turn it back into a hotel! <laughs> we were never here! We're just, I, I'm just a, I'm a butler! Yeah. I'm a butler! Yeah, battle boy. They have all the tapestries. So these prisoners <laughs> converted the basement, the main floor, and all of the hotel into living quarters for the SS, the XO, the commanding officer, as well as building 19 cells out of the existing hotel rooms. 
Uh, the slave laborers that they used from Dachau were highly successful in turning this once lavish hotel into a prison. So, on the fourth floor was the suite to house the commander and his spouse. Fully furnished, uh, exquisitely containing a bedroom, private kitchen, dining room. It also contained, most importantly, mm. a telephone to contact mm. the cow or the Wehrmacht Mountain Warfare School for assistance if necessary. This is going to be very important, this phone gotcha. for our tell. Now, because the castle's built on this hill next to a ravine, it had massive walls. It only needed concertina wires around it. Uh, Sorry, what? Barbed wires, but the concertina ones, it's the concertina, one Concertina, okay. Concertina wires. Sorry, I went back to the last podcast. Constantine, <laughs> walls. <laughs> I was like, what? Flashback? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but all they needed to do was put some of that uh, concertina wire, um, floodlights, and a machine gun positions to cover the front and rear courtyards, and a big lock for the front gate was added. The west, north, and east hugged the ravine, and the south side had a dry moat. There was only one approaching area, and that was through that front bridge. Now, when they finished most of the work, all that remained was the electrical work. One prisoner and two guards stayed behind to get the job done. That prisoner, 36-year-old Zvonimir Zvonko Kukovic, was a Roman Catholic native of Croatia. Kukovic, of course. Kukovic. Kukovic, yeah. yeah. He was an electrical technician that lived in Belgrade, with his wife and child, when the Nazis invaded, he joined the resistance before being arrested in 1941. He spent times in prisons in Belgrade, Bratz, Vienna, Salzburg, before being transferred to Dachau in 1942. Initially, he's destined to be exterminated, but he convinces his German uh, interrogators in German that his skills would be of service to his new captors, who agreed. Together with an Austrian prisoner, Karl Horeis, they upgraded the castle's entire electrical system and remained behind. He took meticulous notes as well, and it is from his notes that we know so much about what happened during this event. So he took notes of what happened, not of his electrical work. Right. I would imagine. Okay, I was just making sure I was... Yeah, yeah. It sounds like so he was really us. good at that work, yeah. which means he would probably log it mm. and, and possibly pass that on to posterity as well, right. too. Yeah. This is how you wire a castle. Right, right. Right. So... There were 14 SS men, one woman, and six guard dogs who were the SS Special Command at Schloss Eter. The men were older with little to no combat experience and were happy to be serving as guards, as those who saw the writing on the wall were happy to guard VIP prisoners with a relatively safety and distance from the war and to be away from the death camps because they could tell that the inevitable execution was awaiting everyone connected to those death yeah. camps. These these all these SS members were all SS uh, TV. So fucked up. Well, they were they were. Hey, I'm a Nazi, but I didn't work at the death camps, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> shit. And, and these all specifically were part of the SS that specifically worked at the death camps. So the two senior officers were also very gung ho and dedicated to the cause. The junior was a member of the SD, like the SS. It was the security intelligence arm of it. Uh, and he was there to glean any intelligence from any person that he could. And if he felt like the men lacked the ideological or professional manners that he saw fit, he could send them away to the frontline combat unit or even a penal battalion as punishment. Worse than the junior commander uh, was the senior commander. He was a fucking monster who was feared as much by his own troops as his perceived enemies. He had too much to prove. That's why he was a junior. 
SS Sebastian. Tiny dick. Yeah. Well, no, this is the senior. Oh, never mind. Retract that. Yeah, this is the commander, not the XO. Like, uh, SS Captain Sebastian Vassal Vimmer, a native Bavarian. So he had been a cop and promoted in spite of or because of his ability to beat a confession out of anyone nearly to death. Quote, Barely literate, unkempt, and given to drunken rages, he was the ideal recruit for the Nazi SS. Wow. Yep. Joining in 1935 as a ticket out of a dead-end job and a way to gain official sanction to continue with brutalizing those who, in all probability, had always made him feel inferior, intellectuals, the wealthy, and, of course, Jews, and the others whom the Nazis scornfully referred to as subhumans. This guy would live a life of terrorism. He... He was a terrorist who dealt in a very terrible human being. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He worked in Dachau before the crematorium uh, was set up in 1935 and yet was still as monstrous in his ability to find any excuse to fulfill his motivation at terrorizing the prisoners. He would use any infraction he could find as justification for his wrath and subjected prisoners to his whims of degradation and murder. In spite of, uh, but perhaps for this, they kept promoting him. He was moved around so often that he found himself lucky enough to escape what happened to his unit. They were surrounded and killed by the Russians, and he was transferred and got to live because of that. So he was transferred because he did a shitty job or because he was doing too good? He got promoted to a different job. Because he did so bad or because he did so good? They love his work. Okay, that's what I'm. Okay, I'm making sure I'm. Yeah, I think the out. I think the the incursion there that he's referring to is separate from the rest of his resume. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. So he was organizing a unit that would be a military organization behind the lines. After the annexation of Austria, these units would follow the German army to identify and round up anyone who might be a threat to the annexation effort, ending up in Dachau or other concentration camps or executed where they were found. He would also do this in Poland, where the cultural and historical connections did not exist. He did so much damage in Poland after the invasion, with so many heinous atrocities, that several German Wehrmacht officers complained directly to Himmler, the leader of the SS. They were all ignored. Wimmer was always rewarded for his monstrous behavior, and while not everything is known about the terrible shit he did, we do know that he was unrepentant in his killing of civilians. And while committing many war crimes, including the murder of 97 captured British troops in the French town of La Paradis. Uh, so months before his unit is surrounded by the Soviet army, he is transferred. Uh, the piece of shit takes over a prison camp and becomes... <laughs> oh, man. This is like the, the what? Gosh. We've talked about so much fucked up shit. And like this is the first thing I'm like, so the piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. Takes over a prison camp that becomes an extermination camp. Well, runs. you kind of figure with him running it, so like right? Pest yeah. seems control? As, did you say petrol? No, pest control. Oh, pest control. I'm sure the Nazis thought of it as that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tricks. Yeah. yeah more like assholes. Yeah. Pets control. Uh, well, I was going to, yeah. yeah. I was walking yeah. into yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he runs the day-to-day operations, and he made uh, quite the impression for his, quote, inflexible harshness doctrine. Which included, you, you say that like you wrote it down. I did. Like, uh, no, he did. Yeah, like he was like. By the way, this is how you hit them. He had a doctrine of inflexible harshness. Wow. Which included that the slightest hesitation from a prisoner 
was made example of in a public and very painful way. Uh, okay. So you flinch, you're guilty. Yeah. yeah. Or if you didn't answer quick enough, <laughs> yeah. you're the guilty. Slightest hesitation. Yeah. Slightest. Uh, only there for five months, it so impressed his superiors that he was transferred back to Dachau, where he would run the day-to-day operations there as well. Ugh. This led to his job at Schloss Dieter. It's an important thing to think about him being at Schloss Dieter, because he was this big piece of shit that has done all these terrible things. And there was a lot of question about why he was put in charge of the castle with the necessity to keep the VIPs alive and comfortable. The belief is that because there was the possibility that he would need to make preparations to murder all of these people if the things didn't go well in the war for Germany, and the prisoners stopped so, being useful as leverage kill, in negotiations. Okay. kill file. Well, this is like, Bat- yeah. this first, is like yeah. Identity Crisis Batman when he has files on all the Justice League members in case they get out of hand and how to kill them. Yeah, they're that's just what saying, this reminds you of. They put someone in charge of Castle Itter that's like, we know you will murder these people without the, the, a single thought. The dynamic oh, yeah. that must have been going on at that castle at the time. I mean, because you're looking at that guy, right? And you're one of the VIPs, but you're seeing the way he's helping the rest of the, the numbered folk, as was referenced earlier. <laughs> numbered folk. Is so well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> you're the one that did it. I, I, they were yeah, referred they to numbered, as the numbered yeah. prisoners, yeah. But, but that dynamic there had to have been completely unsettling. I mean, we know it's obviously wrong. Oh, of bad, course, because they're, they're thing, treating the number prisoners like monsters. Like monsters, and yeah. But you've got to know in the yeah. back of your head, you're like, I'm only so valuable before I become oh, yeah. subject to that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of well-behaved politicians then. What? That's not a thing. It, it, well behaved. You, you don't think you don't you don't think that if we took like uh, no, I'm just saying politicians are well behaved. Well, that's that's what, that's what I'm saying. In that yeah. setting, they would be right? right. Like that's that one moment by which they're like, you know what? I can behave. I can shut up. I don't need shenanigans. Does anyone smell sitcom? Oh God, I hope we're not talking about this castle. Yeah, they did. It's called Hogan's Heroes, and it was <laughs> it was a <laughs> there, it is. there it is. <laughs> so. April 28th. I'm 19- just an idea guy. Okay? <laughs> I'm not like. Uh, Wimmer uh, arrives, and according to Kukovic's notes. Kukovic. I forgot love. about that guy. Yeah. yeah the electricity. The, the awesome guy with the yeah. good notes yeah. about the wiring and all the other things that were going on. So mm-hmm. according to Kukovic's notes, yeah. um, Wimmer arrives and dressed downs the troops and barks orders at them. In only two days, he would have his first prisoners. And according to Kukovic, while he was in charge of making sure no harm came to them, his anxiety was apparent. He had mock ex- inspections and drills, with Kukovic noting that the guards manned their machine gun positions facing inside of the prison instead of assuming escaped prisoners would be running towards the woods. He was preparing them to wow. murder everyone in the prison at a moment's notice. They, they put him there to be like, just hang out, have some drinks. He was an alcoholic. Like, just hang out and drink. You'd Eat have to meal. be a fucking alcoholic yeah, yeah, to be yeah, that guy's yeah, job. Right. No, but like, don't kill anybody until we say kill them all. That's it. Oh, okay. It's like, just wait. So within an inch. Yes. Yeah. Within an inch. Like, hey, you're, we, you might be able to get to kill all these people, so you just wait. No, I just meant, like, as long as he left them within an inch of their lives, we're good. Not the VIPs. Not the VIPs. He was because you he so he was committed. Like, don't touch the VIPs. Yeah, but he could Go fuck with he could fuck with his own with men. His own men. He could fuck with. So his, he's the yeah. only one here that's happy with his location. Him Everybody else is miserable. Yeah. And, and the XO. Him and the uh, the SDXO. Yeah. Okay. SDX. Um, so he was like a memory card. Right. I know. I, that, 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 Jesus. That, yeah. <laughs> so thirty-two gig, sixty-four. What? So 
Uh, Kukovic did all this note-taking. And at this point, he was the only prisoner surrounded by all of these SS guards. So he had to hide his notebook. Yeah. Because uh, we, we, they knew him coming in there. As he, they knew all about his life and how what he might do at that point. Well, yeah, they knew he was part of the resistance. So, yeah, but, so yeah. They, they're, they're going to be suspicious of this guy. Oh, yeah. Someone he's always watching him. Oh, yeah. This yeah. guy can't poop alone. Yeah. Uh, but he did do uh, a detailed recording into his notes every day uh, to possibly help the Allies in any way he could. Awesome. And May 2nd, 1943, the first VIP prisoners arrive, and Kukovic recognizes them. They are Edouard Delarier, General Maurice Gamelon, and Leon Jehol, all fixtures of European newspapers well before the outbreak of the war. I thought you were going to say a softball team. <laughs> So, uh, so no, no, just just know this about this is a, about Schlossieter and about these VIPs. The men most responsible for the administration and defense of France around and during the outbreak of the war would all end up here: two former premiers, two former generals of the army, like the leaders of the army. They have a left wing and a right wing political powerhouses. They have one who was a darling of the fascists until running afoul of them. They had a champion tennis player who, as a minister of sport, did the same thing and ran afoul of the Nazis. They had the son of a former premier, the sister of General Charles Degas, and a relative of General Henri Girard. So that sounds like a sitcom. The the roster of people. Oh, we're, we're we're in the next one. We're gonna get over who these people are and their interactions, and it's definitely a uh, old lady house or some shit like that. Yeah, really? Very, oh, it's so we're talking like the Golden Girls. If they all hated each other. Or groups of them hated each other. Didn't they hate each other? Wasn't that a thing? Probably. You kind of feel that way, right? Especially the older one. The comments made to Blanche alone. Blanche was the best. I'm not saying she wasn't. I'm just saying. People were very critical of Blanche's actions. The premiers and the generals were also joined by several women who voluntarily joined their partners in captivity at the castle. Um... All these players will end up face-to-face with each other, surrounded by their enemies, captors, and fellow countrymen alike. And all of the hatred that these men felt towards one another, whether perceived as a failure over their actions or inactions, would mark a personal hell for most of these men while in prison. Gosh. Personal hell. Yeah. And that's where we're going to leave off for this episode and get to... So so, so we'll get to the drama at a later date. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's a lot. There's a lot of sad and and terrible. Yeah. I, we were about to get to that part where people are interacting. You got to leave with yeah. what, giving the people what they want. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can follow us on all the socials and uh, go ahead and hit us the email at hymhumans at gmail The main source for our research today is the book by Stephen Harding, The Last Battle, and we'll go ahead and include all of our notes and references in the footnotes. And as always, Skylar, do you have anything you want to plug? Nope. I mean, L underscore Binko on Instagram. I have link trees, two things, art, dumb stuff, pictures of me looking like an idiot. Dusty, do you have anything you'd like to share? Oh, not at all at this point. There we go. All right. Well, everybody like, subscribe, share, enjoy, and have a good. I hope you have the day you deserve. It's gonna fade out, so I just recorded the coming. Oh yeah. Oh.